a little bit. Uh, okay. Good morning. Uh, my name is Matt. If we haven't met, uh, nice to meet you. I'm a um, youth pastor here at Grace, and uh, it's, it's an honor. This should not be on three. We go one. All right. We'll keep it right there. Uh, it, is, it is my pleasure to be kind of shutting down this four-week series we've been calling Love is Blind. We should have some fun this morning. Um, here at the end of the day is what we set out to do with this series. We wanted to have a series of discussions, conversations, messages that would maximize romance and minimize misery. Like, how can we come alongside people? What principles can we, can we kind of mine out of scripture and from what we're learning that will help people experience relational glory, maximizing romance and minimizing relational despair and misery? That was the goal. So it, it just so happens that there is a book of the Bible that is for all intents and purposes, a case study in relational misery. Like it's, it's called the book of Kings. It's one of the Hebrew scrolls that is now part of our collection of books of the Bible in the old Testament. And, uh, and for all intents and purposes, it's that it is a case study in relational misery. It starts off and, uh, like a lot of relationships do, everything is fantastic. It's great. Like King Solomon takes the throne in Israel and experiences for a season of across the nation of Israel, just real intimacy, unity, all good things, amassing wealth. Things are good. The nation's hitting on all cylinders. As a nation, their relationship with God is, is intact. It's thriving. Uh, it's all good. Now, so fast forward to the end of the book of Kings and it's all trashed. It's all garbage. Like if, if the beginning of the book of Kings was 2014 Kanye and Kim, the end of the book of Kings is like 2020 Kanye and Kim. Okay. That's how, how you can think of the book of Kings. And, and for the most, most of the book, the, the, the biblical writer often attributed to be the, the prophet Jeremiah, the biblical writer is basically just telling the events, like what happened? Like, okay, this King took the throne and, and did some good things and then went sideways. And then this next King took the throne and they were just a, they were terrible and awful. And the next King is, and just telling the story. What's really neat is that about halfway through the second, about two thirds of the way through second Kings, the narrator, the biblical writer stops and gives like this really concise 14 verse analysis for why they are experiencing the relational misery that they're experiencing. It's almost like he's saying, okay, telling the story, telling the story. Now, now time out. This is really important. We owe it to future generations of our nation. We owe it to ourselves. We've got to get on the same page uh, about what went wrong. Like, it, what was the heart of the problem for us? And so they did in 14 verses. And what's really cool is the exact center verse in this analysis, in this analysis is the most distilled, the clearest version of, of really what went wrong for Israel and why they're experiencing so much relational misery. And basically, here's what it said, 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 15. The writer says, hey, you want to know what went wrong? You want to know why we're experiencing all this misery? Here's what it all boils down to. And it said this. You worshipped empty things and you yourselves became 
empty. In other words, the person that you brought collectively into a relationship as a nation, the, 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 the person that we're bringing into relationship with God, the people that we're bringing into relationship with each other, we're empty. Over time, the person you are bringing into a relationship became increasingly empty, and that doesn't work. Like You can't bring an empty self into a relationship and expect like top-level romance. Like It doesn't go hand-in-hand. Um, lasting romance needs two people who can, who are better described as being people who are full people. And, and, and then on top of that, the writer in second Kings says, look, this is true. Like you can't bring an empty version of yourself into a relationship and expect intimacy and romance and expect for it to last. And just so you know, if you're trying to bring a full self into a relationship, here's what you need to pay attention to most. And the writer says this, like at the end of the day, the fullness of yourself or the emptiness of yourself will all boil down to what it is or who it is you choose to worship, which I think is incredibly interesting. And for me, when I read this, I actually thought it was unexpected. Uh, It actually, it reminded me of this conversation I had with one of our teenagers here at Grace uh, last year. So um, he was a senior, he went to Yorktown, and he was a runner on their cross-country team. And if you don't know, like, Yorktown, they have a, they have a really good track program. And they had some top-level runners. Like, I think they graduated four or five runners from their cross-country team that year that are now running, like, all over the country at D1 schools. Like, they're, they're top-notch. They were stacked. Anyways, um, one of them, they came here to church, and we were talking about running. And uh, we were talking about, okay, well, how do you, as a runner... How do you become a better runner? Like, how do you improve running? And, um, and, and at the end of the day, there are a lot of things you can do, right? So we talked about um, you can, if you want to get better at running, you can, you can work on your foot stroke, like, you know, how your foot makes contact with the road. You can, you can work on your stride length. You can actually work on techniques for how and where you hold your arms and the movements they make, like when you're running. Um, you can upgrade your shoes. And apparently, you can... Shorten your shorts. It's as simple as that. Which, honestly, runners, I got to ask, like, how short do they need to be? (laughs) All kinds of things you can do to become a better runner. But this was the thing that was unexpected and surprising. What he said was, look, if there's one thing that, that that is more important than all those other things that you really are serious about becoming a better runner, the most important thing you can do is... Work on your strength in your core. Like these, these bands of muscles that go from front to back. You want to get serious about running, get serious about your core. And it reminded me of this thing that the prophet is saying in 2 Kings. Like, hey, you need to be bringing a full person into a relationship. And, and okay, we, we look at that and we're like, okay, we have, lots of, we have lots of ideas about how to become full people. There's lots of things out there about what it, how you can become more and more full and all that. But what the writer is saying... The most important thing, like the number one thing you need to pay attention to, if you're serious about having great relationships, maximizing romance, engaging relationships that will last, you have to pay attention to who or what it is you're worshiping. That was really interesting. So you got to worship the right things. If two people want to enjoy lasting romance, scripture says, worship the right things. 
unexpected, kind of surprising, but I think really powerful. Um, so just so we're on the same page, um, I wanted to just do a little bit of work on what we actually mean when we say worship. Like, what's the working definition for worship that we're even talking about? So, um, so, so here's, here's what we're talking about, really. Um, when we say worship, what we mean is, who or what do you follow? Like other translations of 2 Kings 17, 15 say, uh, not you worshiped empty things and became empty, but you followed vanity and became vain. Like it's following. So, so who or what do you follow is, is who or what you are worshiping? Who or what do you value? Who or what do you pursue or chase after or prize or hold, hold in high regard? That's your worship. Like most simply, like when you're sad, where do you turn to cheer you up? When you're hurt, where do you turn for comfort? When you're bored, where do you turn for excitement? The way you answer these questions, it's all evidence of who or what it is might be holding a place in your heart that is worshipful. But at the end of the day, it's most simply put, it's like, what do you live for? What powers you? What what powers you and energizes you, that's what you worship. So my car, you could say that my car worships at the altar of the shell station. That's where my car goes to fill up and become powered. Now, where do I go to fill up and become powered? Well, that's what I worship. And there's all kinds of things we can worship. Some of us, will preserve our wholeness and our fullness. And, and some, of those, some of those things will preserve our wholeness and some of those things will empty of us. So, so really, here's kind of the first main question that just we need to think about and wrestle with, might be really healthy for us to wrestle with, um, is this. Have you ever sat down and honestly answered some of those questions? Like, when I'm, when I'm sad, what do I turn to to cheer me up? When I'm hurt, where do I turn for comfort? When I'm bored, where do I turn to for excitement? Like, at the end of the day, Ask, asking ourselves, what, who, who do I worship and what do I worship? What do I look to to power my life? And, uh, and that's a, it is a really healthy exercise because, I mean, and, and, and additionally, I would say this, you know, some of us, uh, we're, we're here this morning to worship Jesus. We're here this morning to worship Jesus. We're here to kind of get energized by Jesus. We're here to get energized by the person of, of Christ, the story of his life, his teachings that were beautiful. We can magnify those. We, we, we get recentered on his death and his resurrection and that, what that means to us for like how we see ourselves and our lives and why we're alive and, and all that. We're here to, to worship that because we hold that in high regard. Um, we, we get life out of that. But, but really, I think it's important to, to ask Okay, yes, but, but who else are you worshiping and what else are you worshiping? Like Monday through Saturday, who else and what else has our hearts? Because scripture is saying, look, we want to be full people. We want to have relationships, maximizing romance, minimizing relational misery. The thing we have to pay attention to more than anything else is what are we worshiping? What are we worshiping? Scripture says this means everything when it comes to our lives. And especially the quality of our relationships. Now, uh, just a quick illustration to kind of map, uh, wrap our minds around what's really happening here. Like the writer, the biblical writer is saying, 
But when we worship empty things, we become empty. Well, how does that work? And so a quick illustration, and then that will give us some language around what I think is maybe the most important part of this message. So, okay, we're back to 2 Kings 17, 15. This is the diagnosis that the scripture is giving for Israel and all their relational misery. It says, you worshiped empty things and yourself became empty. So the image, the image that I think is really helpful is power source. Like think energy, an energy source. We can actually, we can actually think in terms of coal power versus wind power. Coal power versus wind power. So interestingly enough, the very first time God is mentioned in all of scripture, the image we have of God is wind is breath. So, spoiler alert, in this illustration, wind power is good, coal power is bad. No, you did not accidentally sit down at a Sierra Club meeting. I'm I'm not making any kind of political comment about energy. We're simply using this as uh, an illustration to highlight a really important spiritual principle, what's happening with us. So, um, so, Coal power. Let's start there. How does coal power work? Well, most most simply, right? And uh, I got I got some coal here. We're trying to make this fun. Um, here's the deal. You find yourself in a situation where you're like, I need I need power. I need energy. I need life. Okay. So you go go to the ground. You dig up some coal. Dig up some coal. Leave a little hole in the ground, right? Take the coal, take it over here, light it on fire, burn it up, and it's burning. And while it's burning, it's, it's giving energy and life and vitality, and it's satisfying, and then it's done burning, and it's gone, right? And then you're, and then you're like, okay, well, um, I need, again, I need life, and I need power, and I need energy. So I'm going to go back to the hole, and I'm going to dig up more coal. And I'm going to bring it over here. I'm going to leave a little bit bigger hole over there. Take my coal, bring it over here, light it on fire, burn it. It burns while it's burning. It's providing power and energy and life. And it's very satisfying while it's burning. And then it's done burning and it's gone. And then you go back to the hole and you dig up more coal and the hole gets bigger, right? And, and rinse and repeat. And, and what's happening here, this is really a picture of what the prophet is telling us happens in our hearts. When we worship things, when we go to for power and for life and for vitality, when we go to things that are temporary and are for all intents and purposes coal, this is how we, we, we become empty. And, uh, and like to, to put it, you know, to practical terms, I mean, coal can be so many different things, but we'll just take work, for example. We're so passionate about work here in DC, but has work become coal for you? Like, do we go to, do we seek after, do we pursue or chase or prize, like, the promotion or the attaboy or the girl at work, and we, we chase after it because we're convinced it's going to bring us life and vitality, and we do, we exhaust ourselves digging it up, and then it actually is. We get the promotion, or we get the, hey, man, you did a great job, and it's so satisfying, and it, and it, and it feels good, and then, and then that's gone, right? And then I got to go exhaust myself digging up and working for like the next promotion or the next hey you did a great job so i mean work can be coal things can be coal i mean this is just silly examples but i think you get the point like i'm gonna work i'm gonna earn money i'm gonna buy the new car right the new car it's oh man it energizes me 
It gives me what, this feeling of life and vitality. It's exciting, powering my life for a little while. But then it's gone and I'm you know, left. And then I got to go pursue the next thing. Work, things, our next sexual encounter. Anything can be coal, like anything we're chasing after because we're convinced it's going to power us. It's going to give us the sense we need that we're alive, right? This is what we're pursuing. This is what our worship is. And, uh, and scripture says, hey, you live your life uh, pursuing those things, worshiping those things. What's going to happen is you just become empty and it's going to cause a lot of problems in relationships. Um, it will actually minimize your romance and maximize your misery. So here's the good news, okay? The good news is it doesn't have to be this way. The good news is, yes, more props. And you see why the fan is up here, okay? The good news is there is a source of life, right? We're going with the metaphor, wind power. God, there's a source of life that is eternal, that is everlasting, that I have access to every day. I have access to every day that can energize my life, that can power my life. When I worship it, when I pursue it for power, it's there. Like when I'm, when I'm feeling lifeless, when I'm feeling like, man, something's missing, when I'm feeling like I need energy, I need vitality, I need, I need comfort, I need, uh, I, need, I need to be cheered up, I'm bored, I need to be, like there is a source of power that loves, that loves me, that, that sacrifices for me, that is eternal, and I have access to any and all times that can power my life. And that's the good news. So uh, thinking through this, I actually, there's a story that came to mind. It was another conversation I had with one of our teenagers. This was a few years back. And uh, the, 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 the story goes, like, we... Had the youth group like away, we were on this retreat, right? And um, the point of the retreat was, hey, disconnect from technology, disconnect from the stress. Man, you guys are so stressed. You do nothing but homework. You do nothing but stress over AP tests. Like being a teenager is brutal right now because you're just stressing all the time, right? Okay, let's get away. Let's disconnect. Let's recharge. Let's re-energize. Let's tap into a source of power that is eternal, right? Let's, let's do some worship of who God is, right? We'll get centered on that. And, and we did. So we, we got away for a couple nights and we were on our way back. And it was, it was a great retreat. But I'm in, the, I'm in the car, the van with some of our teens and I turned to the one who was sitting next to me and I said, hey, so what, what was it like for you? What was this retreat like? Tell me, how, how was it? And um, I never forget her answer because she, she just said it. She just said it so well. And, and, and really, it was really powerful because at this point in time, it was junior year and f- to be totally honest, like this teenager had been digging up, digging up and burning a lot of coal, right? Junior year, like kind of biting hard on the party scene, uh, chasing hard after things that, man, they, they make you feel alive for just a little while, but then, man, you don't feel so alive, right? So, um, so her response was, hey, like, you, you know what this was like? This was like, this was like experiencing a high that when the high is gone, you don't feel worse about yourself. That's what she said. So it's like experiencing high. And when the high is over, you don't feel emptier. And what she was communicating, what her experience was that she shared was exactly what prophet is telling us happens every time in second Kings. He says, you know what? Like you worship empty things, you become empty. So, 
One way, honestly, to talk about what this whole message is about, the main point is, look, if we do, if I do an honest assessment uh, about my life, um, I might find that, that, that more than anything else, I'm living, a co- I'm, I'm living a codependent life, right, if I do an honest assessment. And, and the challenge is, okay, what is it going to look like for me? Because I, I'm like, I don't want to be coal dependent. I don't want to live a coal dependent life. Like, I want to be wind powered, right? It's a wind, a wind powered life is I'm preserved as a whole self. It fills me up. I don't feel empty, right? So I want to live a more wind powered life. The question is, what does it look like to, to build more windmills in my life? What does it look like to build into my life more habits and more practices that enable me to catch Catch the wind that powers my life. I mean, really, what we're talking about is what does it look like for me to build habits and practices in my life that, that bring me back repeatedly and regularly to worship of the source of power that is eternal, that is everlasting, that preserves my wholeness, right? That's what it looks like to build a windmill in my life. And so, so we're asking ourselves, okay, maybe, maybe I'm more codependent than I want to be. How do, I, how do I lessen the extent to which I am codependent? Well, I know the more power, the more power I'm getting from the windmills in my life, the less I even feel like I need to burn up coal. Look, it's not about just rejecting coal. It's about just build the windmills, receive the power from the wind. And it's just the need for coal goes away. And I think that's a really powerful spiritual truth. Okay, uh, last, last little bit here. Um, I would say, okay, if, eh, let's see, we'll go back here. Okay, yeah, all right. So um, if this is your first time here, or if you're here because you're just curious about Christianity, um, first of all, welcome. Uh, we're very glad you're here. Uh, you should know this church is actually built for you. Um, we thrive on um, all, all the questions, and we hope that you bring them to, to this church experience in this community. Um, second of all, um, if that's you, I would say I think, I think this is good. Like, you're in luck because at the heart of this conversation are really um, some of the most central claims of Christianity. And so if you're curious, uh, here are just a couple um, central claims of Christianity. Um, here's, here's one of them. Uh, as, as humans, as people, we have this bent toward cold dependency. In other words, while, while we are presented with the opportunity to, to thrive as wind-powered beings, we prefer to step outside of that. And go in search of power and life like coal in other places. It's just a thing, right? Regardless of how or why, like what we've noticed is, is, is humans, it's what we do. Um, we want to find life in the things that, that we pursue. And to be honest, I was thinking about this and it, it does make sense. Because even I, like, even I'm very satisfied by the... Uh, I mean, maybe I'm pushing the metaphor too far, but like the piles of coal I can build, like this is an impressive pile of coal and then I'm burning it. Like, look how, look how great I am, right? It, it enables me to feel powerful and it enables me to feel like independent because I can pursue sources of life and vitality and energy on my own. And this is, this is just a, a thing that we recognize, and it's while we were designed to live off of wind, we 
invariably end up choosing a life of, uh, of coal dependency. And it, and it causes, us, causes us problems. Okay, uh, that's one of them. Another one, kind of central claim of Christianity. Jesus came to rescue us from lives of coal dependency. Okay, you want to think about who Jesus is, why Jesus came to our planet, why he lived on this earth. He said, hey, Jesus, why are you here? What, at the heart of your life, what are you doing and why are you doing it? He would say, I would like to rescue humanity out of coal dependent living. I would like to reconnect them with the wind. I would like to, and this is, this is really just central claim of Christianity. Like Jesus, who was in very nature wind, took on this form to one. Help us, help us know our true source of life. Because Jesus said, hey, do you want to know God? You want to know, you want to know wind power? Well, if you see me, you see, you've seen God. If you have questions about God and if, you, if you're curious about who God is, um, I'm probably your best source. And if you listen to my teachings and you watch, uh, you watch me live and, you know, all this stuff. And then, you know, I will be, I will be uh, re- uh, crucified and buried. And then I will come back to life to kind of convince you of this. Like Jesus said, okay, I want to I come back so that you can know your true source of life. Also, I want to come back to help you fall in love with your true source of life. I want to help you fall in love with the wind, which, which is, this is what we find happens so often. Like you get serious about investigating who Jesus is and, and, you, and you read his teachings and you watch him live and you see his miracles and you, and you get to know his heart and fall in love with this life. You fall in love with the person of Jesus. You start wanting more than anything else to just put up as many windmills in your life as you can because you're just falling in love with this person. Because you're blown away by, man, just the goodness and the power. And then you, we would say that Jesus came to rescue us from our lives of codependency because he's just modeling for us a human life on this earth that is 100% wind-powered. And that's all Jesus' life was, right? Uh, and beautiful. And Jesus said, follow me. Jesus said, hey, follow me in this. Yeah, you want to you wanna live a wind-powered life. You want to live a life where you're, you're obsessed with worshiping things that leave you preserved and whole. You can bring a full person into your relationships. Just follow me. See what this looks like. Okay. Um, in conclusion, I think, I think there's, a little, there's like a little challenges here for, for all of us in this room. Like, I, I think for, for all of us, number one, do I need to carve out time this week and do an honest assessment, like a brutally honest assessment? Um, of who or what has my heart. The, the people or the places I'm going to because I think that's where life is found and energy and power. My worship, who or what am I worshiping? I, I think it's a really healthy exercise. Number two, um, I think if, if I'm already bought into Jesus, okay, yeah, I'm here. I mean, I, was, I came here to worship Jesus. I'm not... I'm not like in that curious place anymore. I'm bought in. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is wind. But, but I still see, I still see evidences of cold dependency in my life that I, I want to address. Okay, the question is, all right, well, what, is it, what does it look like for me to build another windmill in my life this week? What does it look like for me just to build one more windmill, one more habit or practice of engaging God, of, of, of engaging worship of who God is, being energized by his goodness and his character and his love and his passion for humanity? What, what does that look like? 
And then uh, I think finally, if, if you're here this morning and, and you're here just in that curious place, maybe it's just an encouragement to, to, to continue pursuing in curiosity, the life, the person, who is Jesus? And what, what does, what do his claims about himself and his teachings and, and claims that other people made about, what, is, what does that potentially mean for who I am, who I want to live, what I'm recognizing about myself? Um, okay. That's it. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, uh, we just want to say thanks to you, Jesus, uh, first and foremost, for giving us a chance to watch you live. Um, Jesus, you, you did it like you, you lived before our eyes, and we're grateful for that, for the way you modeled wind-powered living, by the way that you, you gave us a picture of a life we could just fall in love with and want to worship. And, uh, and by the way, you just reconnected with, with the wind. Lord, help us. Help us to, on decreasing levels, live coal-powered lives. Help us to live wind-powered lives. We can bring full selves into our relationships, experience lasting romance, minimize relational misery. Lord, we need your, we need your help. We love you. Amen.